I would like to ask you to follow me along with a narrative and a story that is found in the Word of God, the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. And if you would turn in your Bibles to that reference and uh, spend a little time. There are 40 verses in Acts chapter number 8 and they're so revealing and they're so important that I would encourage you to read sometime this week the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. Now this morning I want to begin with verse number 26. Acts chapter 8 verse number 26 and read through verse number 40. While you're turning to that passage, let me remind you that we've been studying for the last five or six weeks now the New Testament church, what the church is all about, what is the church, what is the purpose of the church, what is the ministry of the church. And uh, we've tried to cover some general subjects that have to do with that overall theme, the church that you read about in the New Testament. And uh, we spoke last Sunday on the Lord's Supper because that is an ordinance of the New Testament church. And we would like to also speak on the second ordinance of the church, which is believer's baptism. Believer's baptism. Now in Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse number 26, the Bible reads thusly, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a lamb or a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Then... Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water 
And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, I want you to listen carefully to the two verses that speak of our text this morning. Have you ever wondered why we refer to baptism as believer's baptism? Believer's baptism. Well, it is substantiated in verse 36 and verse number 37. Notice, as they went on their way, that is, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Very interesting observation. How did he learn about baptism? If Philip preached to him, from a passage in Isaiah 53, read it. And you'll read nothing where baptism is mentioned in Isaiah 53. And it was after he finished that message on Isaiah 53 that the eunuch said, well, why can't I be baptized? Somebody was talking out of school, weren't they? And I'm glad they were. Somewhere along the line, this man had been instructed in following the Lord in baptism. And he added that to what Philip had told him. Well, what doth keep me from being baptized? Brother Cozart, I'd like to be baptized. Why would you like to be baptized? What does that have to do with anything? But Philip said, if you believe, now here's a prerequisite. Here's the requirement. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And down they went into the water. Believers, you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ before you become a candidate for water baptism. We have a familiar story here in this 8th chapter of Acts. It starts off with Paul, or called here, king not King Saul, but Paul the Apostle. Paul was consenting unto his death. Paul had already visually and could testify and witness the stoning death of Stephen, even held the clothes of those who threw the stones while they murdered Stephen. And Saul said, Amen. I'm glad we got rid of that one. 
And at that time, <coughs> there was a great persecution against the church. <coughs> Excuse me. I heard Billy Kelly preach many, many times, and he'd always have a great big jug of water on the pulpit when he preached. I said, Brother Kelly, why in the world you have all that water? He said, because it takes water to make steam. <laughs> yes, it does. Now, Saul was quite stirred up over the death of this preacher of righteousness, and he started persecuting the church at Jerusalem. And it says that the people, the members of the church, were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles remained in Jerusalem, while the rest of the members headed for the hills. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committing them to prison. And they that were scattered abroad, notice, went everywhere preaching the word. And a verse, important verse is number five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Whenever you travel from Jerusalem to anywhere else, you always go down. Why? Because Jerusalem is more elevated and looked upon by the travelers as always going up there. But Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Keep in mind who we're talking about here. This is not one of the apostles. This is a man who became a deacon a servant of the Lord at the behest of the church. And so he goes into Samaria and starts preaching Christ. And a great big revival breaks out. The Bible says in verse number 8, there was great joy in that city. But also in that city, there was another man there by the name of Simon, which before in the same city used sorcery, bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, <laughs> to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them, this man, Simon, not Simon Peter, but Simon the sorcerer, he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Not a young one. Not a baby. Not an infant. But he baptized who? The men and the women. The church is being established now in Samaria. It started off in Jerusalem. Philip preaches in Samaria. God saves some folks there. And they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And they assemble together as a New Testament church. 
in Samaria. And guess what? This sorcerer, Simon himself, also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs that were done. Were done. Now, if you'll notice very carefully, wasn't long until he wanted to purchase the gift of healing people. So he approached Peter and he approached John and he asked them if they would teach him how to do this, he would pay them. You find that in verse number 18, when Simon saw that laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. And of course, Peter very politely said to him, go to hell. Thy money perish with thee because you thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. And come to find out, Peter tells him pretty plainly he needs to repent in verse 22. And in verse 23, Peter says, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, even though you've already been put under the water and you're a member of this church, you're still in the gall of bitterness. You're living in the bond of iniquity. And verse 25, and they, when they had testified, preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many, visit, in many villages of the Samaritans. And then that's where we started with verse number 26. The angel said to Philip, leave Samaria. Leave Samaria and go down into the desert of Gaza. In the flyleaf of my Bible, I said, from the revival garden of Samaria to the desert or the graveyard of Gaza. Philip didn't count on that because there was great joy in Samaria but in Gaza there was nothing but tombstones and death go away from the revival and go down because there's somebody down there you need to meet and you need to preach to and so Philip leaves there Samaria and goes down to Gaza which is desert and this is where he meets this man of Ethiopia he was a eunuch of great authority. He had been down to Jerusalem worshiping and he was on his way home back to Arabia. He was returning, sitting in his chariot and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. That's a long time back, isn't it? You're reading this from the New Testament. He's reading from the Old Testament back then. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. All you have to do is run the references there and you find out he was reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Verse 32, the place of scripture which he read was this. He's led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer so opened he not his mouth. And in verse number 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now when Philip is going to preach to the eunuch, he uses this Old Testament book to do it. He uses Isaiah chapter 53 to present the Lord Jesus Christ, God sending his son into the world to save sinners. 
And as he does that, God begins to bless. Philip said, or rather the eunuch said, what doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, one thing, you need to trust the Lord and be saved by the grace of God. Thus we come up with that topic of the believer's baptism. Several things, the Ethiopian eunuch, he heard the gospel preached. Number two, he believed on Christ as his Savior. Number three, he followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And then number five, he went on his way rejoicing. Why did Philip baptize the eunuch? Why did Philip baptize the eunuch? It was because of the great commission given to the church in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All powers given unto me in heaven and in earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, number one, number two, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and number three, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's the reason why Philip baptized the eunuch because the Lord taught his apostles who were the first members of the church to go into all the world and to preach and to baptize converts. Notice that great commission is not only found in Matthew, it is found in some of the other New Testament writers as well. And it contains three very important things. Number one, they were to evangelize go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Second of all, after they evangelized, they were to baptize them. And those two words are used in the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And number three, they were to catechize to catechize means to teach. Have Sunday school classes for these people now. They've made a profession of faith. Teach them the word of God. They were to catechize, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, the gospel writer, Mark, stresses the importance of baptism in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, this has been a problem for some people in trying to disqualify the Bible as the Word of God. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Notice that salvation in the New Testament 
goes together with baptism. I did not say that baptism is essential to salvation, but I tell you, whenever you find salvation, you'll find baptism in your Bible. When people came to know the Lord, they had a desire to be baptized as well. Salvation and baptism ought to go together. It is not something that a person chooses to do. Oh, I remember 20 years ago when the Lord saved me. I remember that. Oh, I know I've been saved. I just never been baptized. Shame on you. You not only need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. It is essential. Baptism is not essential to salvation. Though there is a passage in 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 20 and 21, that seems to teach that, but it's not teaching that at all. In 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 18 and following, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit, by which also he went, and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Hmm. Look at verse 21. The like figure, it tells us what he's describing baptism, it is a figure. It is an anti-tupas. The word that we have here, figure. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, but he makes clear this statement that he's just made. In parentheses, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not essential to salvation. What baptism represents is essential to salvation. What does baptism represent? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One takes care of the soil of the body. That's water baptism. <laughs> the other takes care of the soil of the soul. Salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ washing us clean from our sins. Water can bathe the body, but water cannot touch the soul. Baptism is essential to obedience. To ignore it is disobedience. Baptism is essential to church membership. For in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
I've often been accused by hyper-Calvinists. Do you know what a hyper-Calvinist? It's a man who goes beyond what John Calvin actually taught. That it doesn't, you don't have to believe anything. All just sit on your porch and just rock it by, baby, till you wake up in hell. If God wants you saved, he'll save you. And if he doesn't, he won't. That's hyper-Calvinism. It does make a difference what you believe. And there is human responsibility in salvation, to be sure. Baptism is essential to church membership. They were added after believing and baptized. Then they were added to the church. person who's never been baptized is not a member of the church. A person who has not been baptized is not a member of the church. He's a member. No, he's a visitor. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow the Lord in believer's baptism to be a member of the church. Let's look at two or three things of great importance. Number one, the meaning of the term baptize. Words are important. And anytime you read a word in your Bible, it means what it says, and it says exactly what it means. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll try and take a word that is stated in the Bible and make it fit our religious outline and our religious program and our religious beliefs when it's not saying that at all. Words are very important. And whenever the scripture uses the word baptize, it does not mean anything short except immersion. Immersion. There is a little Greek word, C-H-E-O, keo, and that word means to pour. If the Holy Spirit wanted people to be poured, they'd use the word keo instead of baptize. This is effusion. It means to pour on. Pour on. There is another word in the Greek, rontizo. It's the Greek word meaning to sprinkle. This is aspersion. And it means to sprinkle. And there is a third word that is baptizo, which is the Greek word meaning to dip or to immerse. The translated or transliterated word is baptize. They almost took the Greek spelling of it and made an English word, actually made an English word out of it, baptizo. Drop the O on the N and add an E and you got baptized. It means to immerse. Words are important. And if the Holy Spirit wants a particular word there, that's the word's going to be there. And we have to know what that word means. And in this case, we're preaching on believer's baptism. It means to baptize or to immerse. Words are important. Why are they important? Because they convey thought. They really convey thought. For instance, in the classical Greek, you can read some of this in classical Greek literature, they would use the word often to describe the sinking of a ship. 
if they were standing on the shore and they saw a ship going under the water, they'd say, what a baptism that was. <laughs> Why didn't they say, what a sprinkling that was? What a pouring that was. Why didn't they say, that, that, that's a marvelous example of keo, of pouring. There, there's a marvelous example of, of sprinkling. No, it's always baptized. They used it because they knew the word baptizo means to immerse, to go up, to sink. To sink. The Septuagint tells us that Naaman, and of course the scripture as well, that Naaman dipped in the river of Jordan. The story is quite well known. Naaman was a captain of a Syrian army, but he was a leper. And God's prophet told him that he needed to go down to a certain water and be baptized. And he was infuriated because it was nothing but dirty water where the prophet sent him to be baptized. But he went finally because some of his captains and leaders in his army told him that he wouldn't necessarily gain anything or lose anything. So he went, Naaman dipped in the Jordan. He dipped himself in the Jordan. Guess which word that is? It's baptizo. In Matthew chapter 26, verse number 23, the Lord was observing the table and instituting his Lord's Supper. And he had made the statement that somebody was going to betray him and the disciples began asking the question, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it I? And one of the things that Christ said was this, and I'm quoting, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish. And that little word dippeth there, guess what? Yeah, you got it. It's baptizo. He took his hand and plunged it down into the dish. Now requirements for baptizo. Requirements for baptism. It must be done in water not John Barleycorn. It must be done in water. In Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 5, they went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were baptized of him in the river of Jordan. So you got to have some water if you're going to baptize. Second of all, you've got to have a good supply of water. It must be done in much water. You don't need much water. You're going to sprinkle somebody. Matter of fact, we could sprinkle about 25 people. What I got this cup right here. Yeah, get that done. Save us on the water bill. It must be done in much water. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 23. And John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem. Why in the world would he go all the way over there to baptize? Because there was much 
water there. You got to have a little bit more water for baptism than you do for sprinkling and pouring. What are you saying, Brother Kozar? I'll tell you if you won't tell anybody. <clears throat> if you receive so-called quote-unquote baptism by means of pouring water or sprinkling, you've never been baptized. I said you've never been baptized. The word doesn't mean that. Number three, it involves going down into the water. In Acts chapter 8, verse 38, they went down both into the water, both Philip and the... Why in the world would both of them need to get down on the water if he's just going to sprinkle a little water on them? No, he's going to baptize, immerse. It involves going down into the water. Acts 8, 38... And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. Number four, it involves burial in water. In Colossians chapter 2, verse number 12, we are buried with him in baptism. We are buried with him in baptism. And number five, it involves coming up out of the water in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, and straightway coming up out of the water, going down into the water, being buried in the water, and coming up out of the water. That's Bible baptism. That is the mechanics of it. Dr. Albertus Peters of the Reformed Church he is an authority of the Athorm Church. He was a strong advocate of infant baptism. You've got to listen to what he has to say, but you've got to know who's saying it to get the bite on it. Albertus Peters was a strong advocate of infant baptism. He believed that it was all right to sprinkle infants and call it baptism. He believed that strongly. And this is what he had to say, and I quote, If some intelligent being, being from Mars, should come to visit our earth, and we should hand him our Bible with a request to tell us what he found, he would learn of the general doctrine and some practices of the Christian religion without any other heir. He would find the Lord's Supper, the organization of the church with elders and deacons and adult baptism. He would find those things, but it is safe to say he would never get into his head that little children should be baptized. He would not find infant baptism in the Bible because it is not there and cannot be gotten out of the Bible. Period. Amen. I don't usually stand up out of respect for reformed people. <clears throat> I love reborn people. You're welcome. Reborn people. Qualifications for church baptism... 
there must be a proper subject. That proper subject is a professed believer. All you can do is take what a person says with their mouth. And they're not lying. If they are lying, as between them and the Lord. But if they're speaking truth, it's a profession of faith. A proper subject is a professed believer. How many times have you ever heard, not just this pastor, but lots of preachers say, are you willing to come today trusting Christ as a professed, professed upon your profession of faith? No infants or babies, a proper subject. Number two, there must be a proper authority. Now, who is the authority? Well, it's the guy that's out there shooting balloons down out of the sky. He's done so much for us. Surely he's done something here for us. No, proper authority is the New Testament church. The church has a right to know because it is the church that administers baptism, not the preacher, not the individual, but the church. Proper authority, the New Testament church. I never will forget many, many years ago. Now, he's changed just a little bit. He's, this man, today, is in bathtubs that have all kinds of little sprinklers and things going on inside of it. And everybody ought to sell your bathtub and get one of these bathtubs. I don't know what they're called, but his name is Pat Boone. Now, many years ago, Pat Boone got real excited about Christianity. He started baptizing people in his swimming pool. You say, well, now, which one's wrong? Both. Now, you can baptize in a swimming pool if that's the only place you're going to find water. But a proper authority is the New Testament church. It was Pat Boone doing that. Pat Boone, nobody. He doesn't baptize anybody. Do you understand that? Somebody said to me one day, you know, when I get to heaven, I think I'm going to have a crown. I said, why is that? He said, because Billy Graham won me to Jesus. Billy Graham won you to what? You'd be surprised at the people that believe that junk. When I was 12 years of age, when I was 12 years old, I told my mother I wanted to believe and I wanted to, I wanted to join the church. She said, well, you're going to have to be baptized. And so when I was 12 years old, I said, well, what, what do I do? I asked my Sunday school class because every member of my Sunday school class, when we were 12, every one of them had already joined the church. They'd been baptized. I was the only one that wasn't. Now, you never want to be in a Sunday school class where you're just one of those that ain't. Everybody wants to be like everybody else. And so I asked some of my chums, 12-year-old chums, said, well, what you do, at the end of the service, the preacher comes down to the front, and you go forward, and when you go forward, you just sit there, stand there and listen to what he has to say. 
and just say yes to everything is theirs. And I did that. And I never will forget one question. He said, do you come on profession of faith? I was only 12 years old. I didn't know I wasn't running for office. A profession? I, wasn't make, I didn't know what a profession was. But I knew how to say, yeah, yes, sir. Well, we're going to baptize you. And I thought, well, I'm in now. Well, I got baptized. Wasn't until I was 17 years of age that God began to show me what a wicked, ungodly sinner I was and that I needed more than just the water in a baptistry. I needed the blood of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only did God save me, but God called me to preach. And I've been preaching ever since. And my neighbor yesterday said, could I ask you a question? I said, yes, sir. He said, how old are you? <laughs> and he had to clear his throat to get it out. How old are you? <laughs> I said, I'm 89. He said, 80 what? I said, I'm 89. He said, well, you can't be because I'm just turning 80. And how, you're not all that much older. I said, well, you asked me, and I thought I'd tell you. I guess he figured I ought to be dead by now. I don't know. But what I'm here to tell you is this, my dear friend. That's why many, many times children will follow the Lord as they believe it to be, may not be properly understanding it, and only later, when they become an adult, realize it was counterfeit, and they go back and they say, I was baptized again. Really, I wasn't baptized twice. I was dumped the first time. I was baptized the second time. Does that make any sense to you? It doesn't make any difference whether it does or not. That's so. That's so. I said these four things qualify a person for church baptism, a proper subject, a proper authority, a proper purpose, and a proper mode. Immersion only. Anything less is not Bible baptism. <clears throat> baptism is exemplified in so many areas, in so many ways, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, it says that Christ walked to where John the Baptist was and requested that John baptize him. I began to realize that he made quite a journey. He walked, the Lord Jesus walked 12 to 15 miles to be baptized. That's how important it was. He didn't jump in his daddy's car, all right, but he walked that far to be baptized. His baptism fulfilled all righteousness. And number three, he was baptized in Jordan, not with Jordan. He was baptized in Jordan. Well, what's the difference? Well, it's whether you get wet or not. He was baptized in Jordan, not with Jordan. He had to come up out of the water. The eunuch's baptism. 
And we'll say another word or two about that before we close and we're getting ready to do that. Cornelius baptism in Acts chapter 10 verses 44 through 48. After evidence of salvation, the very next thing he did was to follow the Lord in baptism. Lydia's baptism. The apostle Paul went over to that area of the country and the women that particular day were down by the riverside making prayer unto the Lord in Acts chapter 16, verses 14 through 15. And not only did Lydia receive the message of Paul, she followed the Lord in believers' baptism. And then you know the one about the jailer who had been locked up because uh, he had uh, thought that he'd have his life taken because the Lord had sent a hurricane or an earthquake and he thought the prisoners had escaped. You read that in Acts 16, verse 30 through 33. I'm not far from it. And that's a good one. All of them are good. In Acts 16, 30 through 33, what does it say? He brought them out. That is Paul and Silas. He brought them out of jail and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now the reformers came along and said, see there, all his little babies got saved. Where did it say they were babies? They were just members of his household. All of a sudden they, they weren't too old, were they? And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. He was baptized he and all his straightway. What time of night was it? About midnight. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, rejoicing, believing in God with all of his house. A church was established there, by the way, because that's how churches come to be. They assemble for the purpose of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, having followed him in believers' baptism. That's exemplified. It's taught. Now I'll close with this and I will let you go. The nature of baptism. Why was the Lord Jesus baptized? Just, he certainly was not a sinner who had been converted. Why would he feel that he needed to be baptized? To fulfill all righteousness according to Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. It was his father's will for him to be baptized as much as it was for him to go to Calvary and hang on the cross. And he said, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. Not only did he fulfill all righteousness in his baptism, but he gave approval to John's ministry. John really wasn't beloved and loved by that by everybody that heard him preach you know why don't you because he, he called them a bunch of rattlesnakes you remember that he called the Pharisees you bunch of vipers why would you want to be here today and they didn't like him but when Christ submitted to John's baptism he gave approval to what John was doing he said this man's doing the right thing He's baptizing converts. And to give us a picture 
of a foretaste of the gospel. Now, very quickly, what does baptism do? In Romans 6, 1 through 6, the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized or unto Jesus Christ, either one, in this case unto, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 2, know you not that so many of us as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we'll be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What does baptism do? It commemorates the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Number two, it identifies the believing sinner with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, it is the means by which the new convert becomes a member of the church. And number four, it is an outward picture of an inward transaction. People who are dead, and I say this with the most respect, people who are dead need to be buried. And apart from the grace of God, that is a picture of me and it is a picture of you. We're sinners by practice, we're sinners by choice, we're born dead in trespasses and sins. If we're dead, we need to be buried. And that's why we have a baptistry in this church that when people come saying, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're coming as a sinner dead that needs to be buried. And we bury them. And we bring them up as a type of a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get that in a lot of practices today. But you have to get that if you believe the Bible is the Word of God. Okay? Let's stand, please, for prayer. Father in heaven,